0: I'm Rosandra Guidi, host of The Catch, a podcast from Foreign Policy and the Walton Family Foundation about the seafood we eat and the impact it can have on our world. This season, we'll hear how Norway is handling cod's changing migration patterns and what it says about fisheries and other parts of the world. Season three of The Catch is out now. Tuesday night will go down in U.S. political history. Donald Trump could be knocked off the ballot for president in Colorado. A court there said that the former president was ineligible, based on his role in January 6th.
1: So what the Colorado Supreme Court said was that January 6th, the attack on the Capitol was an insurrection, that Donald Trump had engaged in that insurrection, As a result, he is not qualified to hold the office of president again and therefore cannot be on the ballot, even the primary ballot in the state of Colorado.
0: Patrick Marley reports on voting rights and democracy for The Post. He has closely followed this case in Colorado.
1: And to see a court keep a major presidential candidate off the ballot is pretty stunning.
0: It's an explosive decision with huge implications for Trump.
1: It's incredibly significant and worrisome to him in a bigger Picture because other states could do the same thing. And if he's held off of the ballot in swing states or red states, uh, then it would be nearly impossible to win the presidency.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers, and it's Wednesday, December 20th. Today, I am speaking with my colleague Patrick about this court decision in Colorado and how a lesser known clause in the 14th Amendment might end up reshaping the 2024 race for president. I want to talk for a second about the context of, of how this this case got to the Colorado Supreme Court. So maybe you can go back and explain what was the what was the path that this took.
1: To think about how this all begins, you have to go back quite a bit in history. After the Civil War, the United States passed uh, the 14th Amendment and other amendments to the Constitution uh, in in response to the Civil War. Um, The 14th Amendment, of course, is widely known because it guarantees civil rights to everyone, the Equal Protection Clause. It also has a provision that is uh, less widely known or certainly was less widely known until recently, which is called Section 3. And that was meant to make sure that people who had been part of the Confederacy did not come into Congress or hold other offices. So what it says is that if you swear an oath to the Constitution as a member of the military or a member of Congress, and then you go on to engage in insurrection, you cannot hold office. But then it went dormant for more than a century because we didn't have uh, these kinds of things happening. Mm-hmm. After January 6th and Trump's decision to run again, a number of Voters and critics of the former president cited that provision of the Constitution in saying that they did not believe he could hold office again. And they began filing lawsuits in state courts around the country.
0: And in this particular case in Colorado, who was it who filed that lawsuit?
1: So six voters in Colorado, uh, Republicans and independents, brought the lawsuit with the assistance of the group Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Uh, This same group uh, brought a lawsuit a couple of years ago against um, a county commissioner in New Mexico and succeeded in getting him removed from office um, uh, for his role in January 6th. And so uh, this was the model uh, used in in Colorado, was filed under a provision of the election law that allows voters to challenge a candidate's qualifications. Colorado may seem like an unusual choice because it's not a swing state, for instance. But it does have a provision in election law that lets you get there quickly. So then it's a matter of finding plaintiffs. And there are um, you know any number of Republicans who are upset with Trump and don't like the direction that he's gone in. In the case of Colorado, they found a collection of voters who are, uh, you know, longtime Republicans who are independent voters. Um, it's interesting that they chose voters like that. They didn't They didn't have um, Democrats bring the lawsuit. A judge held a week-long trial, and that judge this fall reached the conclusion that Trump did engage in an insurrection on January 6th, but that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment did not apply to the presidency, and so allowed him to appear on the ballot.
0: Before you go on, my understanding is that you were there for part of the trial and got to see it play out a little bit. Can you talk about that?
1: Yes. I was there for the entire trial, which lasted a week, and, um, you know, went out there because there's never been anything like that before. You had a couple of the police officers who were there on January 6th testify, talk about how the crowd treated them my arms were pinned and effectively useless trapped against either the shield on my left or the door frame on my right
0: with my posture granting me no functional strength or freedom of movement i was effectively
1: defenseless and gradually sustaining injury from the increasing pressure of the mob you saw a lot of video from their body cameras and from other footage Uh, mr hayne please play the video constitutional scholars on the stand from both those bringing the lawsuit as well as Trump's campaign, arguing why he should or shouldn't be on the ballot and, you know, what the definition of insurrection was in
0: 1868.
1: And my point is to the difficulties a
0: court would have, or really anybody would have, in interpreting that phrase, which is the crucial.
1: What it means to engage in an insurrection. And you had someone who had attended the speech that Donald Trump gave on January 6th as a supporter of his and was on the grounds of the Capitol, though it did not go into the building. You also said
0: that January 6th wasn't an insurrection. Is that right? Exactly. And you think
1: Antifa did it? There was no insurrection. So you've got this full retelling of January 6th, what it meant, and, you know, what Trump's role was or wasn't in it.
0: And what has been Trump's defense in all of this?
1: Trump's got a lot of arguments that he's made, and he, you know he he doesn't have to win on all of his arguments. He only has to win on one. So, one he says, nothing I said on January sixth was inciting or engaging in an insurrection. He talked about uh, going up to the Capitol, marching there. He you know he used the word fight some twenty times. Um, But he also said that they should go there peacefully and patriotically. We have come to demand that Congress do the right thing and only count the electors who have been lawfully slated, lawfully slated. So um, he says he was just engaging in free speech and not engaging in any kind of insurrection. You know, his lawyers argue that the the presidency is not something that's subject to Section Three, that state courts aren't. The arbiters of the qualifications for a candidate for president, only Congress can determine whether someone is suited to be a president in at least as regards Section 3. Uh, So he's advancing all of these different arguments. And that is part of why it's so surprising that the Colorado Supreme Court ruled what it did is those bringing the lawsuit had to win on every last argument. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there's uh, a, a dozen. And
0: in this case, they did. Yeah,
1: in this case, they did. And, and now we'll see what the U.S. Supreme Court has to say.
0: Yeah, I mean, my assumption is that this is going to be appealed pretty quickly. What's that going to look like and how quickly will that appeal
1: process play out? So in the world of courts, everything has to move at lightning speed because these primaries are happening uh, very soon. You know, Iowa, which is not directly affected by this, but it will have its its caucus on January 15th. Colorado's primaries on March 5th, which is Super Tuesday, so a bunch of states are having it then. You know, he's the nomination will be decided at the convention this summer. And so if the courts are going to deal with this in in the primary period, they've got to move really fast. Now, there's also the possibility that courts hold off until we get to the general election. But, you know, the political brinksmanship escalates as we get closer and closer to an election. There's also the possibility that the courts... You know, find a way to avoid this until after the election and then you get into really politically dicey waters because let's suppose that Donald Trump wins and a court hasn't resolved whether he's qualified to be president. Then in the period between November and January, you'd have this big fight and—
0: A constitutional crisis in the making. Yeah. After the break, I talk with Patrick about the other implications of this historic ruling from Colorado. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape. And we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow
1: Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. So to
0: come back to what you said before... The short-term logistical implications for Colorado, there's an argument that it's not actually that big of a deal because Colorado is such a a solidly blue state and there's not an expectation that Trump would have to win Colorado to win the presidency. But you did talk about how this could set a precedent for other states and their primary ballots. Can you talk about where this is playing out in other parts of the country?
1: Yes. So, there have been um, a number of lawsuits filed. There was one filed in Minnesota that went directly to the Minnesota Supreme Court. The Minnesota Supreme Court said that Trump could uh, remain on the ballot in that state. In Michigan it's been to a trial court judge and an appeals court which found that he could be on the ballot there. There's someone from Texas who has filed lawsuits all over the country in federal courts, state by state. He has been on a losing streak but, you know, some something could happen eventually there. Meanwhile, you know this doesn't necessarily have to initiate in a state at the court level. A secretary of state or another election official could determine that Trump's not qualified for the ballot and keep him off the ballot. And then that would necessitate Trump filing a lawsuit to get himself back on the ballot. So this thing is bubbling up in lots of places. It just happens that Colorado is the one that took this step. And because this is such a You know, monumental decision, I think it's easier for other states to, it's easier to be second than first. And so now that one state has done this, there's the possibility that other states follow suit.
0: And just to be clear, this could affect both primary ballots, but also general election ballots.
1: Right. I mean, so far, because the primary is what's coming up, those are what all the challenges have focused on. But I mean, if a court says you can't be on the primary ballot, They're effectively saying you cannot be on the general election ballot. It's pretty inconceivable that the Colorado Supreme Court would say, you know, if Trump got the nomination through his um, selection in other states, that now he could be on the general election ballot, given what it believes about Section 3 and the insurrection, what it calls an insurrection.
0: What are some of the other implications of this ruling, especially when we look at the the criminal cases that are going on against Trump?
1: Well, it certainly puts a you know another issue before the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, it's already got this um, matter of presidential immunity and wh- how far that goes in the January sixth criminal case that he faces from Special Counsel uh, Jack Smith. So now here is you know yet another consequential issue put before the court that is just steeped in politics at a time of incredible polarization in our country. The reaction to this decision has been swift with Democrats and others opposed to Trump saying this is great. He should be kept off the ballot. It's, you know, finally a court has determined what we all believe, which is that this is an insurrection and this guy's unfit for office. And the Trump supporters say this is fundamentally un-American, un and undemocratic. The the voters should decide if he's qualified to be president. They they should have the final say.
0: You know, I had an interesting conversation with one of our colleagues, Ashley Parker, um, on the podcast a couple weeks ago where she talked about how Democrats talk about breaking the Trump fever, that the only way to do that is for Trump to lose elections on the ballot, not to keep him off the ballot altogether. So I'm curious what you've heard about that, this kind of tension between Democrats wanting Trump to not be on the ballot but also wondering whether that's actually good for what's ultimately in Democrats' best interest.
1: That is a great point and that is something that has definitely split people who are opposed to Trump is that some say the the very way to get him out of the bloodstream of politics is to to beat him on the merits, to win at the ballot box. And so there's some concern that this will just um, galvanize Trump's supporters. They will rally around him. And, you know, the initial impressions looking at social media seem to be that that's that's happening. You've certainly seen that with the criminal charges that a segment of the Republican base r- runs to Trump's defense. And so, um there is a concern among some Democrats that this is not a good path to go on. I would say that the the other side of that, Um, from those who support these lawsuits is is to say, look, the Constitution is the Constitution. We believe that it says someone who has done this can't run for office, and that's just the way it is.
0: And Patrick, how much consensus is there on this application of the 14th Amendment from people in the legal community or from academics?
1: Well, they're really jazzed about it because it's this new novel area and there's lots of little corners of, of the issues to explore. So, I mean, they are divided on it and it's not always on the um, clear kind of lines that you would expect. There are some prominent conservative legal scholars who have backed this idea, have said that they think that Donald Trump cannot serve as president again, just as there are liberal scholars who don't like Donald Trump and don't want to see him... Uh, hold office again who say that they don't think that this argument carries the day and so I think you have to think about the Supreme Court and how they might view this of course three of the nine justices were appointed by Donald Trump but I think those bringing the lawsuit say look this thing doesn't follow clear ideological lines and there's a shot that the Supreme Court would, would go for this
0: Patrick, thank you so much for explaining all this. Thank you. Patrick Marley reports on voting rights and democracy for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Arjun Singh with help from Sabi Robinson. It was mixed by Ted Muldoon and edited by Monica Campbell. Thank you to Griff Whitty. On a day like today, with big news swirling in the air, you want to wake up knowing that you're going to have the latest updates of what's going on in the country and the world. So you should check out our morning news briefing, The Seven. The podcast brings you through the seven stories that you need to know about every weekday morning by 7 a.m. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.